Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And it's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Talking in Circles. I'm Clayton Caldwell with John Harlow. We are reviewing the wild and crazy weekend that they turned into the National Speedway. Last night's wreck fest, 18 cars running at the finish last night, 13 cars on the lead lap at they turned into the National Speedway for the Coke Zero Sugar 400. Eric Jones took home the victory, went home with the trophy. Uh, his first career Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series victory came in – the 400-miler at Daytona joins John Andretti, Jimmy Spencer, David Reagan, Eric Amarola, uh, plenty of others out there as well who took home their first win in that race. Um, a lot of crashes. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. was, was the, the – I guess everybody was pointing a finger at him for a lot of the, the wrecks, and he was the, the blame for it all. Uh, we'll discuss whether that, that's warranted or not. Um, also – Friday night's festivities, we'll get to that too. That was a wild finish with Kyle Larson taking the victory and Justin Haley um, passing for the win and going and crossing the start finish line first, but only had the win taken away due to NASCAR's yellow line rule. Did NASCAR get it right? Should the yellow line rule still exist? And I have an interesting theory that I got to give credit to Matt Wheel to uh, Matt Weaver on, excuse me, uh, on that whole yellow line rule. We'll discuss that later on in the show. Plus, the playoffs are beginning to pick up playoff talk. Um, last night's victory changed up a lot because Jones was outside the playoffs. We'll discuss that as well. 917-889-8280 here talking in circles. Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow here with you tonight. John, Eric Jones' first career victory. This kid um, has had a lot of success in the lower divisions of NASCAR. Uh, One truck championship was was a great uh, – came close to winning. Uh, was, was a great, great driver uh, in the truck series and the Xfinity series, um, driving for Joe Gibbs racing. The kid's got a lot of skills, no doubt about that. Uh, you know, and w- when you look at what he's done um, throughout his career, I-, I think everybody pretty much expected him to, you know, go out there and, uh, and and be very, very good. Came close to winning the Xfinity Series championship in 2016. Uh, has nine wins in that series, seven wins in trucks. But last night gets his first Xfinity, first Cup Series win, excuse me, at Daytona National Speedway for the Coke Zero Sugar 400 in a race that was filled with carnage. Uh, what were your thoughts on Eric Jones? You know, he was able to make a, a great move at the end of that race to get to the victory. Martin Truex Jr., who still hasn't won on the restricted play track, pushed him to second. What were your thoughts on, on Jones winning that race? I feel bad for Eric Jones. I mean, here he is, the first win of his career. He jumps out of the car. He's excited as all hell. Um, made a great move on the backstretch to get past Truex. I mean, he didn't luck into it. He had a good push from uh, Chris Busher with Almondinger behind him. Good move to get to the win. The problem is, we don't care. All we're talking about is Justin Haley may or may not have gotten robbed of the Xfinity race. We're talking about there are only four cars that were in the chase or in the playoffs that finished in the top 20. We're talking about Ricky Stenhouse, either where everybody's either saying he drove way over his head or every circumstance wound up that Stenhouse was in the middle of every accident there was. And is it really racing? 
I mean, you and I have talked since I've joined the show, and I think we all know how much I hate restrictor plates. And I think the best thing that could happen to Daytona and Talladega is a bulldozer and a three-quarter mile track show up there. That's not going to happen as long as ISC owns it and they keep making the money they do. But one of the things you looked at last night, going into the race, how many, car, how many drivers, whenever they were doing the pre-race stuff, were saying it's going to be a wreck fest? How many people, I mean, even Junior and Jeff Burton were basically saying it's coming. They could predict it a couple laps ahead of time. And you've got people like Stenhouse that know that this is probably the only race he's got a shot at making the playoffs. So he's being as aggressive as possible. You got people like Truex hanging out in the back saying, okay, I just need to survive this for a while. And then I'll go make my move and try to get toward the front. And if you stayed toward the back, all you do is wait out and miss the carnage because it happened all in front of you and you should have been far enough back that it didn't hit you. But it just was a terrible race. In my opinion, it wasn't racing. I mean, I want to see the car win. I want to see the best crew, best driver, find a way to put the car together, not who pushes who, who makes the move, who blocks who. I just don't think it's racing. I don't think it's good. And I would rather watch paint dry than watch another race. Well, and, you know, we've had I, – I like the concept of plate racing. I've said this before, and I like the fact that it sort of levels the playing field. Um, it's only four, it happens four times a year. Uh, so I don't think it's, it's crazy to um, say, you know, it, it's too much. I think it's perfect amount with Daytona and Talladega, and it's the best option. I love Daytona. I mean, I go there every year. Um, I have a soft spot in my heart for Daytona National Speedway. I love Talladega, too, and I, I don't think we should stop running there. And I think restrictor Place is sort of a Band-Aid for, I mean, God knows what would happen if we took them off. Um, but certainly I think the package that ran last night uh, certainly might need a second look. Um, I, I respect NASCAR because I think what they tried to do with this package, with the, with the bigger spoiler last night, was to eliminate the leader getting such a big lead and not being able to catch him. Well, that happened last night. I will say that the leader wasn't just you know moving over one lane and moving over the next lane and uh, just sort of running away with it. We only saw one or two leaders. That, the leader was able to be caught last night. He was able to be passed last night. That I liked. That was a step in the right direction. I think the side passing is a little bit too much right now in this, with this package. I also think we push a little bit too much as far as bump drafting. I think these drivers get a little bit too confident in there. And that's partially on the drivers, and I've said this before. I think the drivers are partially to blame for the carnage last night. Um, I remember the race after Dale Earnhardt Sr. got killed at Daytona in 2001. Uh, they ran the next restricted plate race after that was at Talladega Super Speedway. It was a race won by Bobby Hamilton. They did not have any cautions in that race. It ran from green to checkered without a caution. And you sat there and you said, whoa. But it was just because these guys and these drivers and these teams weren't driving over their heads because they knew the possibility of what could happen because they just saw it happen to them in February at Daytona. And I always point to that and say that's the perfect example of how drivers can sit there and go, let's not do this. Um, somebody on, on Facebook, and I think it was Kenny Bruce today on Series X and NASCAR Radio, sort of looked at this, and, and we talked about Ricky Stenhouse Jr., and he was a guy who got a lot of the, the blame last night for the accidents. Uh, I think 
the wreck with Kozlowski really wasn't his fault. Um, I think that was William Byron going down and blocking Brad Kozlowski, and Kozlowski had to lift. And when somebody lifts like that and you're not expecting it in these race cars, you're going to run in the back of them. And he, he jacked Kozlowski up, who was running second, and took out half the field. I don't think that was his fault. I think he got a little bit too aggressive with trying to side draft Kyle Busch on the second accident. I think that was his fault. Um, but somebody made a comparison to Ricky Stenhouse Jr. A couple of people did. Comparing him to Ernie Irvin, um, where Ernie Irvin was a guy who was very, extremely, extremely aggressive uh, in his early, early in his career. You know, there was a famous driver's meeting where he stood up and said, I'm going to try and, and not be as aggressive and try not hurt people, uh, yada, yada, yada. And he sort of, you know, reeled it in a little bit and start, still won races, you know. And, and 94 was probably going to, you know, be a, a big thorn in Earnhardt's side, if not win the championship in 1994 before his accident that, that nearly killed him at Michigan. Um, so a lot of people are looking at Ricky Stenhouse Jr. saying maybe he was a little bit too aggressive last night. But Stenhouse with this package, I think he runs this package very good. Roush is a, a very good on these play tracks. He had very good cars last night. Michael McDowell ran very well on Roush's car, even though it's Butler Motorsports. Roush built those race cars. Um, ben House was fast. I thought Trevor Bain ran a pretty good race last night. So Roush is very good. And Stenhouse, I think, is smart with these play races, but he just got a little, he gets a little too aggressive. But this package, I think it, it forces you to side draft. It forces you to bump. And I think he just forces you to be overly aggressive if you want to stay up front because the track position is so essential here um, at Daytona. And, and you're fighting a, a double-edged sword because I'm the guy, and I talked about this before the show, where I like my driver and team going up and trying to fight for every point they can get in these stages. And stage one and stage two, get the stage points. And say, so get your sponsor some recognition. I hate the fact when teams hang in the back and do nothing, I hate that. For, for 400 miles until until the race gets going here with about 40 to go. I hate that. But, you know, JTG Dora did that last night, and they finished third and fifth. So maybe that's what we're going to start seeing is just with all these accidents and the way this package is, maybe hanging in the back is the way to go because half the field is going to be wrecked anyway by the time the, the race gets serious with about 50, 40 laps to go. Well, if you remember a couple years ago at Talladega, all they did was play follow the leader for most of the race, and then with about 20 to go, all hell broke loose. They still wound up with a big one, but they only have one instead of four. Um, but that's one of the reasons they put the stage races in because people got tired of watching them play follow the leader and sit around and wait till the end. So the stages, NASCAR built this aggression in because you get a playoff point for winning a stage. You get points that matter toward the regular season, whether you're going to make the playoffs because of these stages. I think NASCAR built it in. Now, there are some of them, like you said, one of the things you were ticked off about, your driver, David Reagan, hung out toward the back and still wound up finding his way into the mess. But he was hanging out in the back and not pushing to get into the mess. I mean, I look at it, when you look at the race and you see Kevin Harvick pushing in the top five in the last 10 laps of the race before he got caught up in the last melee with more bear bond on the car than they wanted. And they were still running top five. Stenhouse was in how many accidents? Even whenever him and Kyle Larson got into it, they had some mess up there. He went and side drafted Ryan Newman. That's where he wound up um, 
getting his tire rub where it blew the tire at the end and caused the last wreck. But Stenhouse was still running. That car went through hell in a handbasket. He was in every wreck known to man and still up there. Boyer was up there at the end before the last wreck. And his car had more Bayer Bond on it than anything else. I don't even think, I mean, no matter what, I look at it, and you said about Roush Fenway having their way with these things. I don't think it's, it matters. I think it's Doug Yates and his group that determine who's going to win. I mean, that Ford horsepower, you can put a monkey in the car, and it's going to go fast. It's just a matter of whether the monkey can hold it under control. And last night, the monkey named Stenhouse wasn't able to hold it under control. Yeah, and, and listen, I just think um, this play package, it just forces you to be aggressive. And I think part of the reason, part of Stenhouse's issue last night was the fact, you know, they're not capable, those cars are not capable of winning on mile-and-a-half tracks right now. Um, and that makes up the majority of our schedule. Um, even the Poconos, you're not going to see Roush go out there. And unless it's a fuel mileage race or rain-shortened race, um, where you kind of snooker them into a victory, uh, they're just not going to win. They're not at that point right now, Roush Fenway. So he's got. He knows these plate races are his best opportunity. He's not a very good road racer. These plate races are a very good opportunity for him. His only opportunity for him to make the playoffs. Um, now he can point his way in. We'll discuss that a little bit later because I think he's 17th in points right now, and and uh, he can point his way in and still run okay. But um, you know. A win gets you in, a win feel, makes you feel good. Um, and, and Stenhouse still ended up 17th, so it wasn't a horrible points day for him. Won both stages, got as many points as both Casey Kane in fourth and Eric Jones, the winner, uh, by finishing in 17th spot, which is crazy to think about. But that's how the stage is. With the stage points, that's how it goes. So it wasn't a horrible day for Ricky Stenhouse Jr. per se. Um, but those are his only opportunities to win. I think he was super aggressive through there. Now we discussed this, John, before the show a little bit, and um, you know we had a, we had a person comment on our Facebook page about it. Restrictor plates. I talked about it earlier. You know they they were in they were instituted because let's be real. If we took the plates off, they'd be doing an ungodly 200 and who knows 40, 50 plus maybe at these play tracks. I mean they ran 212 miles an hour in 1987. Uh, so. You know, that's 30 years ago now, and, and the way the technology and the horsepower has come, you know, we've run 200 now in Michigan without even thinking about it. So um do think we'd be at astronomical speeds to where somebody in the stands would get really, really hurt. Um, with that being said, you know, you hate restrictor plates. You, t- you talked on that. A lot of people, a lot of old school fans don't like restrictor plate racing. And I know we tried it once, I believe, in 87. They tried a, a smaller carburetor, uh, but the team's complained it cost them a lot of money. Is there anything they could do other than a restrictor plate to keep the speeds down and keep a very competitive race in it um, that might help take the wrecks away? Uh, or do you just think this package needs to be worked on? What are your thoughts on that? Um, I have no idea we can never take the plate off. And I was listening to him talk about it this week about possibly going V six, possibly going V uh, four cylinder for the super speedways. The problem is you're looking at how much money Doug Yates and TRD and, um, and ECR have to put together to create a new package for an engine. And I don't think it's cost efficient. 
just for four races. Now, granted, they tear up a hell of a lot of race cars. I mean, you remember back in the day, there was that one quote when Tony Stewart, after they uh, had a pile up at Talladega, and Stewart said, yeah, I'm not happy unless we tear up a quarter million dollars worth of race cars and go home from here. So I don't know what the solution is to it. I don't know if there is. Um, unless they find some way to get them to where they aren't hooked up together. And the way with the restrictor plate on, they're going to be in a, they're going to be in a pile and somebody makes the smallest mistake. Your day's over. Um, and there's nothing you can do about it. As long as they're running these super speedways, we're going to have these four melees every year. You might as well just go to the demolition derby and pull that car out because it's, I don't know why everybody goes crazy about making the perfect car for Daytona because half the time the car that goes in at the end of the day at victory lane has bear bond all over it. Anyhow. (laughs) Good point there. Um, Here's this, you know, would it help, do you think, at all, if drivers stood up in a, in a driver's meeting and just said, hey, listen, guys, we've been tearing up a lot of stuff, and, you know, 15, 20 years ago, this definitely would have happened because the safety wasn't as strong as it is today. You know, now we have safer walls, uh, safer race cars, the Hans device, full-face helmets, you name it. You know, we've come a long way in safety in 20 years. Um, so 20 years ago, you know, you're hitting concrete walls 200 miles an hour. You know, I remember Bill Elliott one time in 96 Talladega, you know, just an, a plate race accident where he broke his sternum. And, you know, we don't even really see that too often anymore where some drivers walk away and get hurt anymore. Kyle Busch did at Daytona in the Xfinity Series race a few years back, but that was one of the few places at Daytona that didn't have a safer barrier, which it does now. What I'm trying to get at is I think some of these drivers have a false sense of security. Now, where you sit there and you go, nobody's going to get hurt anymore. I mean, we saw Austin Dillon go into the catch fence a few years back, and that car was towards, torn to shreds and walked away without a scratch and was fine. You know, And that's a good thing. I'm not trying to say that's a bad thing. That's a good thing. You know, I, I love seeing that. I love seeing that Austin Dillon was okay. But I think some of these drivers sit there and go, well, you know, maybe we're not, in the back of their mind, we're not going to get hurt. Maybe some of these veteran drivers, the Harvicks, because Lasky's of the world, just need to sit there and go to the, to the younger drivers of the generation and say, hey, listen, just when you're out there, just think about it. Use your head. Um, we're still going 200 miles an hour. We're still flying out there. There's still potential to get hurt. Just race smart because what we've been doing at these play tracks the last few, week, the last few times we've come here, we haven't raced smart. That includes the Xfinity Series. You know, the Xfinity Series, is, and, and we'll get to the controversial finish with Justin Haley a little bit later, that race had a lot of wrecks in it. So um, it's not, you know, and, and they run the, 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 a different style race car there as well. So my point is maybe these drivers need to sort of get on each other a little bit and just remind them and say, hey, listen, be smart out there. Let's run a, a, an entertaining race, a fun race. But let's not be stupid. Do you think that would set, that would do anything? No, not at all. Um, because if you think about it, one of the most aggressive blockers you run into is Brad Keselowski. I mean, Keselowski makes one of the reasons they look at him as one of the better restrictor plate racers, both him and Logano's, because they block just as good as anybody. 
And when you have to block to win, that's bad. I mean, all, they're driving in the rearview mirror. They're not worrying about how fast they're going forward. As a matter of fact, if they get too far ahead, they're laying off a little bit, tapping the brake to make sure they catch up so they don't get that far ahead because when they're ahead by themselves, the whole line blows by them with nothing going on. So I don't know if you can go talk to them and say, hey, use your head. I mean, Stenhouse, that's the first time he's really had that issue where he was aggressive and tapping people. Usually it's Jamie McMurray. But Jamie McMurray, and he was trying to be aggressive early in the race to get himself up and get in some positions, but it wasn't working for him, and he wound up getting caught in a melee. I think it's just one of those perfect storms where it got it where Stenhouse was always involved in it, and it was weird that most of the most of the big ones happened at the front of the pack this time. And that's why we saw so many good cars sitting. I mean, yeah. Hell, Kyle Busch and Denny Hamlin and Kurt Busch and probably half the guys were able to watch the uh, finish of the race from home in Charlotte. <laughs> For sure. And, you know, these, as much as we look at plate racing and, you know, we, we sort of look at it and say something has to change, a lot of fans still love the fact that it's sort of an equalizer. I do. I think it, it, it sort of puts it into play where, hey, you know what, it's sort of a different medium. It's a different style of racing. Um, you know, you hold it wide open here, which you really don't do anywhere else in the Cup Series, which is different. Um, so, you know, that sort of takes out that part of it for a driver. Um, but I do think this package needs to be worked on. I, I definitely do. I don't, I don't think we're, we're uh, 100% and sit there. And, and I feel like about any package that we need to always be thinking forward about it and saying, well, what's going to happen next year? And I think this restricted play package for sure needs to be looked at hardcore and say, well, listen, you know, um, what we had at, at the Cook Zero 400, the Cook Zero Sugar 400 wasn't what we wanted. You know, there was a lot more carnage than what we expected. I think this package sort of makes you have to be more aggressive than what you even need to be, and that's why it happened. Now, we've always had a lot big wrecks as long as these plates have been out, really since 96 when they really changed the rules um, and, and made them a, a bigger pack. We've had always had big wrecks, so um, you know, it is one of the Here's where I see either the driver's council doing something or the owners as, as the RTA doing something. If there's going to be a change, it would be the drivers and the RTA combined going to NASCAR and saying, we're not doing this anymore. Find a way to fix it because we aren't putting our lives in danger. We're not putting up a quarter million dollars to take back on the rollback to win 50,000 at the end of the night. It isn't worth it. And there are so many of, I mean, this happens four times a year and there are people, I mean, and the sad part is there are a lot of people who will tune in to watch the wrecks. And because yeah. of the way last night was, it was higher up on the rundown and sports center than it is any other time. Same with the yeah, night before right, with the Xfinity race. It was higher up in the rundown, and the Xfinity race isn't anything special a lot of times, but it was higher up in the rundown because there was controversy about who won and how they won. So, we'll get that in yeah, one, it is. One second. What's up? It is. Uh, it is crazy. You know, and and uh, I think at the end of the day, you know, you, we need to look at it 
and say, I, I think the restricted plates are here to stay. Um, and, and just look at that package. But you're right, you know, a lot of people do watch it for the Rex. Um, I'm not sure that's a good thing. You know, we'll get to that to the Haley thing in a second. I, I it's it's I can't wait to get your t- take on it and talk about the yellow line rule. Um, but overall, um, you know, what are your final thoughts here at the at Daytona for, for the yellow for the uh, for every dance that went down this week in the Cup Series? I mean, in a few weeks, it's this get in the playoffs. And unless some is, isn't Talladega a uh, determination, the last race of a segment before it goes to the next round? I, I think they've changed that because of the fact what you were just saying, uh, a fact that the owners have sort of kicked in and said, we don't want that as, as a, or maybe even the drivers, we don't want that as a, as a sort of cutoff race um, for us. I think that that's the way it's been the last couple of years, or last year, I believe they changed that. So I think it's Kansas now, although the schedule has changed from a year ago. So I believe it's Kansas now, and Talladega is the race before Kansas for a cutoff. But still, it's a chase race for sure. To be honest with you, I think this Talladega has no business being in the chase. I think um, the fact that you have to count on somebody else to go forward doesn't make it a race to me. To me, it's how good of a car you can build. Can you beat somebody else on your own? And if you can't, why bother? And, yeah, it's nice to hear some of the stories. I mean, Jeffrey Earnhardt, who really is just a train wreck, he finished in the top 15. Matt Matt Benedetto finished in the top 10, and his car was all torn up. Michael McDowell had a great race going all night long, and he got torn up at the end. But – when you have Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, and Harvick still kept going even though his car was junk all night, Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin, Kyle Larson, uh, all three Penske cars already in the trailer heading home before the end of the second stage, and you know they're f- finishing 30th to, four, 30th to 40th. You got Brennan Gone who runs four races a year, and he's up there in the top 15, and all he did was try to stay out of everybody's mess. I mean, it, the sad part is, and this is what I started off with tonight, Eric Jones won the race, his first race ever in the Cup Series. How bad is it where the only thing we've talked about when it comes to Eric Jones was the first couple minutes where we said, hey, he had a, had a great move on the back stretch, stayed out of trouble, won the race, congratulations. And whenever we're wrapping up, we said, congratulations to Eric Jones. The sad part is we aren't talking about it. And it was probably yeah, barely right, mentioned John. on Sports Center that Eric Jones won his first cup race. It was all mentioned about the carnage. Yeah, you're right. And and that's that is an issue for sure. I think that's definitely an issue. Um and something else I want to touch on before we move on is you know you talk about the carnage and the owners putting their foot down. That is why I've predicted in the last 10 years, in the next 10 years, and it might even be sooner than that, I think you're going to see one of the preliminary events for the Daytona 100, whether it's the uh, Advanced Auto Parts Clash or the duels, go away. Because I think these owners are going to sit there and go, we tear, enough, tear, up, tear up enough stuff during the whole speed weeks. We really don't need the, the, the duels are pointless. Now, because everybody, you're sort of locked into the field. We had 40, 41 cars this year. The duels were sort of pointless right now. Why are we even running them? 
uh, let's take those races away. And I think that eventually, um, within the next decade, or maybe even sooner, those races will be removed from this. One of those two races will be removed from the schedule. 917-889-8280. The real hot-button topic from this weekend, though, John, wasn't anything to do with the cup race. It was a NASCAR Xfinity Series race coming down to the to the checkered flag. Justin Haley, who runs in the uh, truck series on, on a regular basis for GMS Racing, was in a second car for GMS Racing, shot to the bottom of the racetrack to pass Elliott Sadler and Kyle Larson um, for the lead. And in doing so, put his left side tires below the yellow line. Now, the interesting part about it was he wasn't – he really didn't even need to do that um, because he probably would have won the race anyway had he kept his wheels above the yellow line. And NASCAR went out there and took the race win away from Justin Haley, which if you look at the context of the rule, and you're probably going to disagree with this, I think NASCAR got it right. He – when you look at it and say advance your position below the yellow line, he did that. He advanced his position and completed the pass – below the yellow line, but with two left side tires below the yellow line and went to, went to win. The issue I think everybody's having is that's not the intent of why the rule was put in. You know, when we think about the yellow line rule, we think, I think, first thing I think about, because I grew up a Bill Elliott fan, was 1997 and the day 500 where Jeff Gordon dove below the yellow line at that point, I think it was a white line at Daytona, and what would be the yellow line today, and on the apron, passed Bill Elliott for, for the lead because Bill basically didn't want to risk uh, wrecking the whole field and behind him, and Jeff took that risk and went on to victory with his Hendrick teammates and yada, yada, yada. He did it in 99-2 with Rusty Wallace who went below the yellow line to pass Rusty Wallace. So I think of those two inc- inc- incidences, and I say that's why the yellow line rule was, was created. Um, drivers you know, and, and to NASCAR's credit, people forget this. About seven, eight years ago, they tried to take the yellow line rule away. They said, you know, we want to take it away. And for one race, they didn't really have it. And the drivers sort of sat there and said, no, we want that yellow line rule. We like it out of bounds. It makes you feel better. Um, so for all those people griping about it and saying, we need to take it away, we tried that, and the drivers said they didn't want it. Um, and I remember Tony Stewart doing an interview saying, the yellow line rule is good. We want to keep it in place. So, um, not to get off on a too big of a tangent here, but the yellow line rule is in place, but that's not why that rule was put into effect, uh, what Justin Haley did on, on Saturday, on Friday night. It's unfortunate. Uh, the kid ran a hell of a race. He made a, a, an unbelievable move at the end of that race, a gutsy move. He's a great racer uh, and, and just was fantastic there. And it's unfortunate that they had to take a win away, but if you look at the context of that rule, NASCAR got it right. In my opinion, um, I've not seen the complete good replay. The replays I saw, it looked like his tires, his left side tires were still on the inside of the line. There was part of his tire over. It looked like part of his tire was still on the line. So I haven't seen a really good replay that says any different. To me, it looked like whenever he was making the pass and he was still on the racing surface, it was above the yellow line and it looked like, uh, Larson was coming down toward him. I think he made a quick adjustment, like Junior said on on the broadcast. It's split second. 
And I don't think he's sitting there going, okay, I need to get below the line to get by this guy. I think he's just thinking, I need to move just a hair. And it's not like it was. I think whenever he actually was on the line, he was already past Larson and Elliott Sadler. And he went below the line, according to NASCAR. The one thing where I don't have a problem with it is Wayne Otten has always been one of the most respected officials in NASCAR. Nobody argued with him when it came to trucks. He was a straight shooter, played fair. The rules were the rules, and Wayne Otten doesn't play uh, gray area when it comes to the rules. He did the same thing Friday night, and it's respected. There's people who are complaining about it. Keselowski was one first person, first people to bitch like crazy on Twitter. And um, Steve O'Donnell said, yeah, we'll send you the rule book to make sure you understand. I look at it is if I ever, if I saw a replay where it has both wheels below the line, which is what is written into the rule, both wheels below the yellow lines, the inside yellow line. Okay. That's right. But I'll tell you flat out, I've seen people intentionally wreck people right there at the uh, start-finish line. You've seen in the past where at Sonoma, Ricky Rudd got a win because somebody spun him out intentionally, and they disqualified him. What's the difference? I mean, if somebody's pushing you down to the line, and it looked like Larson was coming down because he was side-drafting Sadler to slow him down, looked like he was coming off to get his get his momentum going does Haley know he sees him you don't know you're doing the best you can with the moment you have if it was intentional and he was down below the yellow line for a regular period of time yeah I mean we saw it at Talladega when Regan Smith didn't win because he went below the yellow line to pass Tony Stewart at the end the one thing I really believe is the last lap all bets are off going for the win. If it's paid, good luck. Have at it. Because you're going for the win. I think if you're going for the win, have at it. Because how many times have you seen people pile up and go end over end, uh, all that good stuff, getting toward everything, whenever they come to the finish. And they're staying inside the racing surface. What's that extra couple feet going to help? I mean, they may end up piling them up even more. But I think if you're going for the win, or if you're going to do it at Daytona and Talladega, do it everywhere. Because you see them going down on the apron in Phoenix. You see them going down on the apron at some of these mile and a half from qualifying. If you're going to do it one place, do it yeah. every place. So that way there isn't I, see, I a question in anybody's point. mind. Yeah, I agree with that second point. I think that second point is, is interesting. You know, they allow you to go on the apron for other racetracks, but not Daytona and Talladega. That's a little confusing. I don't think it's a big deal if they say, you know, a lot below the yellow line. Uh, it What it does is it takes the what we're talking about today away from every other racetrack. You know, we only see this yellow line rule at Daytona and Talladega. Um, the first part I don't like because I don't like the fact that one, uh, your final lap is completely different rules than every other lap you run. Um, you know, the yellow line rule is such a it, it it's a, it's such a gray area rule. It's such a, a NASCAR NASCAR determines it, and I think part of the problem with this yellow line rule is 
in the past, it seemed to be selectively enforced. Um, and a lot of people, I think what some of the anger and some of the scrutiny came from was the fact that Kyle Larson won and the fact that he is a Cup Series regular and he won that race. Haley is a young kid who that's sort of why the Xfinity Series was created for drivers like Justin Haley to make a name for themselves. And he was going to victory lane. He made a great move and he's going to victory lane um, at that point. And then NASCAR says, Oh, by the way, you know, you're not, he's doing burnouts on the front straightaway. And NASCAR said, yeah, sorry, you didn't win the race. Um, so I think that was part of the people's anger that we saw frustration behind it all was the fact that a cup regular won the race. Uh, I also think, like I said, it was selectively enforced. I remember vividly. And now this is 15 years ago. Let me just state this. 15 years ago, there was so many different people running NASCAR than there are today. Um, but with Dale Earnhardt, I think it might have been Dale Earnhardt Jr. 2003, 2004, with the whole Matt Kenseth thing, went below the, clearly below the yellow line and passed Matt Kenseth um, and wasn't called. And so people look at that and say, they, the officials wanted to get out of Talladega alive that day. Yeah, and, and I think people looked at that and said, so now you're selectively enforcing the rule. I think that's part of it. But here's another interesting twist to this whole thing, and I give Matt Weaver credit for this, for saying this, and this is where I completely agree. You talked about it earlier with Ricky Rudd when he spun out Davey Allison and he took the win away from Ricky Rudd at Sonoma in 1991. Don't, do you have a problem? And this is where I, I, I think Matt Weaver hit a grand slam. That Justin Haley, for going below the yellow line by two inches for a period of five seconds, winning the race, gets his win stripped from him. But if his car was illegal, he'd keep his win. Do you have a problem with that? Because that's, what it, that's the reality in NASCAR right now. If your car oh, without is a doubt. You win that race. If, right. so, if he fails inspection, he still gets the trophy, he still gets the money, and they get a penalty later. But the fact that and, and, he was illegally winning the race by being, if it was five seconds below the yellow line, that's probably stretching. It might have been one because hmm. he was barely right. there for any length of time. I mean, it was a split second. And. I'm sorry. It's this is the one where the NASCAR doing business way of doing business just doesn't make sense. I mean, right? And and that imagine the story. It, it, it's crazy to me. Imagine the story of Justin Haley winning his first Xfinity race by passing Larson and Elliott Sadler on the final lap at Daytona. And it was a great pass. It was a great move. I mean, he shot down from the top lane to get to the bottom. And you look at the amount of the amount of real estate he took over in that split second of time. There's a chance he hits the bottom line. There's a chance he goes a hair below it. I mean, he's making a move to try to win the race. If they want to keep the yellow line there and they want to make it out of bounds, put a damn wall up. There you go. There's your out of bounds. Here's the wall. Now that's you can't go below. <laughs> huh? That's a lot of money to do that. 
They, you know, well, facts, they don't even like put, putting up safer barriers everywhere, let alone put the whole Look at it this way. They're already piling cars up. They're piling cars up yeah. as it is. Give them another wall. You know, and that you can't to me go with is, the paint. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think it's such a judgment call, and I think NASCAR, for the most part, got it right. I mean, I know there's a lot of people that are going to debate it and say, well, you know, and and for the people who complain and say that it's selectively enforced, I agree to an extent. I do. I, you know, I would like to see what NASCAR's ruling is when. If that was Dale Earnhardt Jr. in that car, but you talked about it, and this is where I give him credit. You talk about it would have been a great story, John. Justin Haley winning his first Xfinity Series race, passing Elliott Sadler and Kyle Larson, two veterans in the in, in NASCAR for the victory. What a storyline! And that didn't matter to NASCAR. They just said we got to get the call right. To me, that is a, a huge step in the right direction. That is what they should be doing. They shouldn't worry about storylines. And all that kind of stuff. Let your race play out the way it is. But the fact that Justin Haley's car was for maybe, okay, three seconds below the yellow line, and he gets this windstrip from him, was basically put at the tail end of the lead lap, finished in the 18th spot. But if he had his, his you know, his car was, uh, the back end of his car was out of tolerance by a quarter of an inch, he gets to keep that win. He gets to keep the, the trophy. He gets to keep the money. Everything's great. So when those people who tell you NASCAR doesn't take wins away, they don't like taking wins away, so that's a lot of baloney because they take wins away for going below the yellow line. They did for Justin Haley. They did for Regan Smith back when you talked about it in 2008. But they don't for a penalty. It's just more evidence and more uh, proof that NASCAR needs to wake up with that penalty, with that non-penalty, not taking the win away for your car being out of tolerance, and get the calls right, and take the, start taking the wins away for people being out of tolerance. It's just proof of that even more, in my opinion. Yeah, it just makes no sense. The... If you're illegal, you're illegal. And I was just trying to look at the video real quick. And by the time he goes below the yellow line, I swear he's past them. So it's really tough to really tough to figure out what the reality of it is. Like, again, I haven't seen the real angle, but the one thing they did clarify it in the driver's meeting and um, Ryan Newman asked a question, and Richard Buck, the managing director of the Cup Series, read the rule to them verbatim. Vehicles must race above the double yellow lines for the, around the entire racetrack if, in NASCAR's judgment, the vehicle goes below the double yellow line to improve its position. Vehicle will be black fly, flagged. If, in NASCAR's judgment, a vehicle forces another vehicle below the yellow line in effort to stop advancement pass, that vehicle will be black flagged, which we've never seen. NASCAR defines beneath the double lines as the vehicle's left side tires are beneath the left line inside the double yellow lines that separates the apron from the racing surface while passing the vehicle. It doesn't say how much of the left side tires. It just says the left side tires. So, again, either they got to tighten up the rule saying if your car 
if one smidge of your tire goes below the yellow lines or if anything like that, they're never going to get it right. I mean, the thing is, with Wayne Otten making the call, I'm okay with it because I've never heard of any controversy or watched any controversy where Wayne Otten is involved. The truck series and the Xfinity series, you don't see the um, crap show that you see in the cup series. And it's sad that your best level of racing has more crap, more crap going on from officiating than you ever do in the Xfinity or truck series. Yeah. And, and I agree with you as far as, uh, you know, I think Wayne Alton does a great job. And I, I think the fact that um, they, they got it. I, I just think Saturday, Friday night, they got it right. It was, it was a very unfortunate incident. Uh, Justin Haley ran a great, I mean, that was, that was a, a great move. And it reminded me of a move that Earnhardt made, Dale Earnhardt Sr. made, I believe, I, I can't remember the year, in an IROC race a bunch of years ago where he shot from uh, the top to the bottom lane and just took your breath away. You're like, wow. Uh, that's how good that move was. But unfortunately for Haley, he went below the yellow line. And that's not what it was. That's not why the rules intended. He probably would have won a race. He, not probably. He wins the race anyway if he doesn't go below the yellow line. But you open up a major, 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 major can of worms if you don't call that because then you sit there and go, well, you know, uh, and it, you just open up a major can of worms because drivers will go, well, then yeah, it's got to be explained to me in the driver's meeting a little bit better. So um, at the end of the day, I think they sort of made the call they had to make. I thought they made it, uh, uh, the right call. It's an unfortunate call. It's not why the rules intended. Um, it's sort of like a pass interference where you sit there and you go, by definition of the rules, pass interference. I think it's ridiculous it's pass interference. But if you look at the rule of pass interference, that's the call. Um, and that's not why the pass interference was intended in, intended for. That's not why it was put in the rule book. But if you look at the rule book, it's pass interference. So um, I just think at the end of the day, it was the right call. And uh, it's unfortunate for Justin Haley. And he ran a great race, and that should be taken away from him. 917-889-8280. Talking Circles, Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow here with you. You know, playoffs are coming here, John. We've run uh, a ton of races here. I believe we're at 18 right now in the Cup Series. Um, so that means there's only eight races to go until we get to the playoffs. And we've seen really the big three that everybody's talking about, Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, Martin Truex Jr. Um, those are the big three. Kyle's got five wins. Harvick's got five wins. Truex has three. Um, they got 30, 27, and 18 stage points, respectively. You can throw Boyer in there. He's been pretty good this year. Larson, I think, has got some speed at the end here the last couple of weeks. But really, where I'm really curious and really interested is the bottom half of this uh, points now after the Coke Zero Sugar 400 at Daytona National Speedway. Um, because Eric Jones, now he's in on via points anyway because of his win last night, but his win locks him into the playoffs. So there's one driver outside the top 16 locked into the playoffs. That's Austin Dillon due to his win in the Daytona 500. He's 18th in points right now. Uh, so he's locked into the playoffs, which would knock Ricky Stenhouse Jr., who's 16th in points, out of the playoff run. Um, Alex Bowman would be the last driver to get on a points, then it's Chase Elliott, and then it's Jimmy Johnson, and then Ryan Blaney. Uh, so – you know, you look at the guys outside right now, Stenhouse, Menard, Ryan Newman, Suarez, William Byron, Jay McMurray, 
Um, those drivers are really the ones that have a chance. Maybe A.J. Allmendinger, if he pulls off a win at the road course, he's got a chance at it as well. Um, is there anybody in that danger area that you're really, really worried about that you sit there and, and due to last night's race, you might sit there and go, now I'm really concerned about them? Not really, because we pretty much said last week that the playoffs are pretty much the playoffs. I mean, you've got the guys 16, 17, 18 who can still um, work their way in because it isn't that far apart between them all. I mean, there's a bigger gap than it could be, but 16, 17, you're not seeing anybody past 19 that's um, unless they have a win. That's about all you're going to get. I mean, heck, if you look at the points, um, Newman is, let's see, Bowman's 426. Newman's 332 and 19th. He's almost 100 points back. Austin Dillon's in an 18th. Menard's 55 points back in 17th. Stenhouse is 19 points back in 16th compared to Bowman. You're not getting past Austin Dillon unless they win a race. I mean, Newman's over 100 points back. Uh, Suarez is over 100 points back. Byron's over 100 points back. If you're past uh, Paul Menard, because Dillon's 18th and he's in, you're not getting into playoffs unless you win a race. And that's par- probably part of why you saw Stenhouse being as ex- aggressive as he was last night. Well, I totally agree. I think that's why you saw Stenhouse. Part, a lot of the reason. You know, he knows where he is in points. And, um, you know, it's it's a, a a crazy fact that you look at it and you say, um, you know, nobody – there's nobody really outside that's going to work their way, and I agree with you. I think it's it's that's the way it's going to happen. I mean, um, Paul Menard's 36 points back of Ricky Stenhouse Jr. right now, and, and you know that's almost a full race. So Menard uh, Menard's really going to need to close the gap up on Stenhouse if he wants to have any shot to point his way in. Had an unfortunate race last night. Menard uh, crossed the nose, got tapped by Jimmy Johnson, crossed the nose of David Reagan into the grass, ended up a, a rough finish for Paul Menard. Um, and that was a po- place where he could gain a lot of points, um, you know, and he didn't do it, unfortunately. So uh, it was it was a tough deal for him and uh, something that he looks at and you say, well, um, at the end of the day, that was that was really, uh, you know, a week after his, fir- his first poll in over a decade. Um, now he's in trouble as far as the playoffs go. Dylan's in. Newman's in trouble as well. Uh, we said this before. And I'll tell you this about Daniel Suarez, uh, I was not impressed last night. And I know it was a wreck fest in Suarez, yada, 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 but he was not very good in qualifying. Um, and this is the guy who sort of called his shot a week ago at, at Chicagoland and said, we gotta make, we're going to make the playoffs. Well, he's got to because I think people are going to start to whisper about Daniel Suarez's future in that race car. And, and it's unfair to um, put, put that on him after two years in the Cup Series. I think it's very unfair, but you know, when you consider who he replaced, a perennial year in and year out, a perennial chase contender, and now he's in that car and he's 20th in points, you know, you're going to get a lot of scrutiny because you sit there and said you replaced Carl Edwards. Now, Edwards retired, but a lot of people think that maybe Suarez, with, with Aris there and, and the ties with Suarez, that Edwards is sort of forced out of that car. Um, who knows? But, you know, we'll never know unless we were in the negotiations um, but, you know, Suarez is a guy who I think you look at and you say, he's got to step it up here and make a big push here in these last eight races um, before the whispers start about Daniel Suarez's future in that 19 car. 
I think Daniel Suarez's future in the 19 cars is solid as Kevin Harvick's in the four because Carlos Slim is behind him. Um, when it comes to Carl Edwards, I don't think he was forced out of the car because if he was forced out of the car, he would have been back the next year. He would have sat his year, said the right things about, I love Joe Gibbs and everything, but he would have been back in a car the next year. Or Joe Gibbs would have put him at Furniture Row or Toyota would have found a way to put Carl Edwards in something. I don't think Carl Edwards was forced out of the 19 car. I think Carl Edwards said enough is enough. I mean, you, you heard him after the um, championship, uh, whenever they wound up, whenever he wound up wrecking at the end of the championship. I mean, he was uh, disappointed, but he seemed at ease with not winning a championship and wanting to get on with his life with his wife and children. And he had some concussions throughout the time. He's had some hard wrecks throughout the time. And he said, wait a minute, I'm going to be able to walk around. I'm going to be able to carry my kids on my, on their back, on my back until they're 10, 11, all that good stuff. He wanted to be a dad and more power to him. I think Daniel Suarez is as safe in that 19 car as Kevin Harvick is in the four because he has the sponsorship and the backing of Carlos Slim. The same reason Danica was safe in the 10 as long as GoDaddy was behind her. But the minute GoDaddy walked away, we all, that's when we started seeing the chance of Danica going away because there wasn't the sponsor who was 100% locked in behind her. Yeah. The one thing no, out of last night I, I do want to say is it was kind of nice it was weird. It was nice, but weird when Jimmy Johnson took the lead and the crowd went happy. Yeah. And usually Jimmy Johnson takes the lead. It's like, ah, so what? Seven times up there again, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Chad probably cheated, blah, blah, blah. But no, they were, the fans went crazy whenever seven time got to the front because he only had led two laps all year coming into the race. They were shocked. They, I bet they were half shocked, but Johnson had a good race until the fatal pit stop where he took off before the gas cam was out and they were still servicing the vehicle over top of um, before everything else got taken place. Before yeah, the, yeah, that was they left the pit box before, the, um, before everything got out. So, I mean, it was sad that he wound up getting into the mess after he because he was running well. He got himself to the front and was doing well, but – you make the mistake on pit road and that's just something the seven time group doesn't usually do very often. No, you're right about that. And that was crazy to hear that when, when Johnson went to the lead and maybe it's a sign that fans want to see the veteran drivers win some races here. Um, and we have this year in 2018, but you know, NASCAR's promoting, trying to promote the young drivers and maybe they need to start looking at the veteran drivers and promoting them. If that's what the fans want to see. Uh, something else interesting that came out this week before the race, and I want to get your take on it before we go off the air here tonight. Stuart Haas Racing, they came out and said their driver lineup for 2019 should look very similar to their driver lineup in 2018. We know Amarola just got there. We know Harvick's got a long-term contract. Um, we know Clint Boyer's there for a little while. There was some question about Kurt Busch. He signed a one-year extension. Uh, a lot of people, there were some rumors that he was going to retire at the end of this season. doesn't appear to be happening. Um, so, what my question is, is we know Stuart Haas Racing, nothing's going to happen there. Do you envision anything major happening with this silly season? Last year, we had a crazy year. Danica out of the 10, Amarola in. We had 
Uh, Dale Jr. out. Lamata, a lot of moves. Casey Kane out of that ride. Silly season was pretty wild last year. Pretty silly. Um, you know, Matt Kenseth out of the 20. Eric Jones in, which shocked a lot of people. Um, do you see anything major going on with this silly season? You know, this is the time of year where these rumors start to pick up because it's July and, and things happen, you know, way ahead of time in NASCAR. What are your thoughts? I still think uh, the 41 isn't as safe as the press release said, because not long after Kurt Busch said, I have not had one discussion with Stuart Haas racing about my contract for next year. Now, granted, there's not a better ride for Kurt Busch to go to because Penske's staying with his three cars and Penske won't ever have Kurt Busch back. And Penske's drivers line up set. Hendrick Motorsports drivers line up set because Alex Bowman's done everything it could ask for in that um, 88 car. Chase Elliott's secure, Byron's secure, and Jimmy Johnson's got sponsorship they got to find. The only place I see possible changes in decent cars is McMurray in the one, possibly Kurt Busch in the 41, and that's it. Hamlin, Kyle Busch, Daniel Suarez, and Eric Jones are solid at Joe Gibbs. There's no real seat at the big at the big chairs. If there's any floating around, it's going to be it's like we're will Casey Kane stay at the 95, or does he go to front row, or does he go to something like that, or does he go to JTG? I don't see any major changes happening because the only two spots where there could be any openings are the 41. And the one. And if the one yeah. opens up, I could see John Hunter Nemechek going into it. And if the 41 opens up, I could see Christopher. Listen, thinking, I, that's I, the one, the that's that's the one wild card there. I see. And there's two wild cards out there. I see Christopher Bell being ready. And I see Cole Custer not far from being ready. And if Cole Custer's going anywhere, he's going to Stuart Haas because his dad's a general manager. So that's where he would go but I don't see anything crazy happening. We may see some crew chief messing around. I mean, it could come to the point in the off season where Mr. Hendrick decides, um, is it time for Chad and Jimmy to go their separate ways? Is Chad's act running tired on Jimmy? Mm -hmm. But that's about the only changes I could see happening. I've said for a while, I think um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Chad, this was Chad's final year, but, uh, you know, I, I've read some things recently that Chad expects to be back next year. Another thing to keep in mind uh, is the fact that Toyota's come out and said they were they're exploring a possibility if they can find a sponsorship to put Bell Christopher Bell in a Cup ride in the '77 next year. Haven't heard anything on that stable in a while, from that news in a while as far as what Christopher Bell's future is. Certainly, I think a lot of people agree that he is ready for the Cup Series. A lot of people looking to get their hands out on him. I do think McMurray is vulnerable here because of how Larson's running. McMurray's struggling. They love him over there at Ganassi, so I think it would be a, a sort of a surprise he would be asked before his contract's out. But um, still, a lot of stuff to keep an eye on. Always you know, keep your eye on the silly season because you n- just never know. That's the one thing you learn about the silly season here in NASCAR. I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking in Circles tonight. You like what you heard? Like us on Facebook. Like us, give us a like on Twitter. We'll see you next week. Good night, everybody.